BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. For the better part of the last decade, science fiction finally evolved from a niche genre into a mainstream staple. And while many people are familiar with the so-called fathers and grandfathers of genre, the women who have been instrumental in creating and shaping the nerdverse have largely gone unrecognized. Until today. I'm Melissa Fixie, and this is Sci-Fi Fangirl's Forgotten Women of Genre, a podcast where we tell the stories of the women who helped some of the most famous fantasy worlds become a reality. Dear Miss Ford, your letter of recent date has been received in the inking and painting department for reply. Women do not do any of the creative work in connection with preparing the cartoons for the screen, as that work is performed entirely by young men. For this reason, girls are not considered for the training school. In the 1930s, if you were a woman applying to work at Walt Disney Productions, you would receive a rejection letter just like that one, which Mary V. Ford received in 1938. It went on to tell her that the only open positions for women at the studio were in the ink and paint department, where artists, all women, created animation cells by tracing and painting the work of other artists. But, according to the letter, it would not be advisable to come to Hollywood with the above specifically in view, as there are really very few openings in comparison with the number of girls who apply. Outside of the vitally important ink and paint department, the artistic equivalent of Ginger Rogers having to do everything Fred Astaire does but backwards and in heels, the women were barred from every other department at the studio. According to a 1946 interview with the Associated Press, Disney believed women lacked the talent and sense of humor to be animators. This was, of course, untrue. After all, why would they keep applying in such droves despite rejection letters like that? Two women, Disney's first female animator, Retta Scott, and Disney's favorite female artist, Mary Blair, would put the truth to that lie, and the influence of these two friends can be felt in animation to this day. These are the women of Disney animation. The glass ceiling at Disney had already been cracked by Bianca Majoli, a high school classmate of Disney's. The Italian-born Majoli joined the all-male story department in 1935. She wrote the original story for the silly symphony Elmer Elephant, translated the adventures of Pinocchio from Italian into English for the studio, and created concept art for what would later become Cinderella and Peter Pan. But Majoli never saw these projects come to fruition as a Disney employee. Over the years, Majoli found the pressures and boys club atmosphere of the story department so stressful that it began to affect her mental health. In 1940, Walt Disney Productions forcibly parted ways with her. After taking a two-week vacation, Majoli returned to find her desk occupied and her job terminated. But Retta Scott, who would become the first woman to receive an animation credit on a Disney film, was already in the building. Scott was born on February 23, 1916 in Omak, Washington. Her artistic talent was obvious from a young age. At the age of 10, she won a scholarship from the Seattle Music and Art Foundation. As a teenager, she earned a scholarship to the Chouinard Art Institute in Los Angeles. Her favorite subject was animals, and she often visited the Griffith Park Zoo and Thousand Oaks Wild Animal Farm to draw from life while studying. 
During her third and final year at Chouinard, the school's director, Vern Caldwell, suggested that Scott apply to Walt Disney Productions, despite the ban on women in any department other than ink and paint. While Scott associated Disney with the Mickey Mouse cartoons, Caldwell knew that the studio was working on Bambi, a natural fit for Scott's talents. Walt Disney Productions felt the same way, hiring Scott in the story department in 1938, the same year, incidentally, that Mary V. Ford received her rejection letter. She was put to work on Bambi, and her particular focus was on the scene where the deer Bambi and Feline were pursued by hunting dogs. In Scott's own words, she developed the hunting dogs into vicious, snarling, really mean beasts. When legendary animators Ollie Johnston and Frank Thomas, who had become two of Disney's venerated nine old men, saw Scott's work, they were startled by its power. Surely sketches of this power and skill were the work of some grizzled old man. But no, it was the work of the short, good-natured Scott, born out of years of studying and drawing animals. Scott's sketches were meant to be concept art, but they were so incredible and emotional that her higher-ups, including Disney himself, knew she needed to animate the sequence herself. Since Scott wasn't trained as an animator, she worked closely with animator Eric Larson to get up to speed. The result was a harrowing sequence that's still effective to this day, dogs animated seemingly teeth-first with powerful bodies and single-minded bloodlust. It earned her respect in the company and a credit on the film. Bambi's mate, Feline, love is at once a tender and a terrifying thing. Scott went on to contribute to Fantasia and Dumbo. She was laid off in 1941 when the studio downsized but rehired the next year. During this time, Scott was living with her good friend Mary Blair, who was already on track to become Disney's favorite female artist. Little is known about how Blair and Scott met. While Blair also attended the Chouinard Art Institute, she graduated in 1933 before Scott arrived in Los Angeles, so it's likely the two met at Walt Disney Productions as the two of the few women on campus not a part of the Sisterhood of the Ink and Paint Department. But when Blair's husband Lee enlisted in the Navy and left Los Angeles in the early 40s, the two moved in together. Mary Blair was born Mary Brown Robinson in McAllister, Oklahoma in 1911. Her family moved around a lot during her childhood, but settled in California when she was seven years old. Like Scott, she also earned a scholarship to the Chouinard Art Institute. There, she met her husband, Lee Blair, and the two married in 1934. Blair started at Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer before spending two years at iWorks Studio as a cell painter. Lee was hired by Disney in 1938, and Blair followed him there in 1940 to work as a concept artist. She created concept art that would later make their way into Dumbo and Lady and the Tramp, but she found the production environment a little stifling. While undeniably talented, Blair's signature art style was yet to be developed. According to her biographer, John Canemaker, her style could look like three different artist styles rather than a single cohesive one. She left Walt Disney Productions, but when Lee told her he was going on a long trip to South America with Walt Disney for research, she went straight to Disney and asked if she could come with. The Disney trip to South America was part of President Franklin Roosevelt's good neighbor foreign policy. The aim was to combat the spread of fascism in South America by building closer ties between America and its neighbors. Notably, the trip and resulting films were funded by the government, which was critical after Pinocchio and Fantasia failed to impress at the box office. On the trip, the group visited Brazil, Argentina, Bolivia, Peru, and Chile, observing daily life, learning from local artists, and meeting with local government officials. Blair's art style changed dramatically over the course of the three-month-long trip. Realism gave way to graphic stylization. 
realistic earth tones gave way to technicolor. There are the three Cavaleros, a reckless, amorous, swashbuckling trio riding a magic carpet to romance and adventure. When the group returned to the United States in the fall of 1941, Blair's life began to change. Lee, now in the Navy, was stationed on the East Coast, so Blair moved in with Scott. She returned to Disney full-time as a concept artist and became the art supervisor for Saludos Amigos, The Three Caballeros, and Make Mine Music. Disney adored her work. He loved it so much, in fact, that when the Blairs moved to New York City in 1946, he allowed Blair to work remotely. But despite Disney's championing, Blair's work was controversial in-house. According to Disney's biographer Neil Gabler, when Disney had Blair come on board to do the character designs for Cinderella, the animators rebelled. They found it difficult to translate elements of Blair's style into their preferred style for animation. Still, elements of Blair's colorful geometric style are the foundation of the beautiful visuals of films like Cinderella, Alice in Wonderland, and Peter Pan. Of course, we can't talk about Blair's work on Saludos Amigos, The Three Caballeros, and Peter Pan without talking about racism. At best, Saludos Amigos and the Three Caballeros exoticize South America, and the horrific Native American stereotypes found in Peter Pan can be found in Blair's concept art for the film. She also worked on the legendarily buried misfire Song of the South, spending 10 days in the South to create concept art that greatly influenced the bright, cheery look of the film. Blair apparently never commented on the racial elements of these films, but it's likely she was never asked, which goes to show why it's necessary to have a diverse team that feels safe and supported calling out problematic depictions on any production. There's really no excuse. Blair left Disney in 1953 to pursue children's illustration, illustrating golden books like Baby's House and I Can Fly. New York City provided no end of outlets for Blair's prodigious talents. She worked on Radio City Music Hall productions, storefront windows, television commercials, advertisements, and greeting cards. But Disney wasn't done with Blair. In 1963, Disney was working on a ride for the United Nations Children's Fund Pavilion for next year's World's Fair in New York. He reached out to Blair to help develop the look for what would eventually become the ride It's a Small World. Blair contributed to the ride's translation to Disney and later Disney World. Endless jokes and complaints about the earworm of It's a Small World aside, the ride is considered one of the most iconic rides in the Disney parks, up there with Pirates of the Caribbean. There are versions of it in almost every Disney park on Earth, including Tokyo Disneyland, Disneyland Paris, and Hong Kong Disneyland. If you've ever sat through It's a Small World with a small child, you've contributed to Blair's legacy. I want you to meet Mary Blair. Hello, Mary, this Mary. is Julie Reams. Hello, Julie. Nice Will you tell her what you're doing here, Mary? We start this way, making a preliminary sketch. Then we'd make a model to scale, and that's what we're doing. After leaving Disney in 1946, Retta Scott married Benjamin Wooster and moved to Washington, D.C., where she worked as an illustrator, occasionally freelancing for Walt Disney Productions. She returned to animation in the early 80s, working on the canceled Chuck E. Cheese holiday special The Christmas That Almost Wasn't and The Plague Dogs, a dark, adult-oriented film about two dogs escaping from a research laboratory. She suffered a stroke in 1985 and died five years later on August 26, 1990. After Walt Disney's death in 1966, Blair could no longer rely on work coming from the studio. Both she and Lee struggled with alcoholism and drained their finances trying to find assistance for their eldest son's mental health issues. Blair died of a cerebral hemorrhage on July 26, 1978. But though they are gone, their legacies live on in the films they made iconic and in the influence they had on the next generation of illustrators and animators. 
Up producer Jonas Rivera has mentioned his love of Scott's illustrated Cinderella for how she captures the feeling of the film without slavishly recreating it. And Blair's work is one of the most popular requests at the Animation Research Library at Walt Disney Animation Studios as animators and other artists look to work for inspiration. Forgotten Women of Genre is a production of Sci-Fi Fangirls. Today's episode was written by Claire McBride and read by Alyssa Fixie. You can find the script of this episode and so much more at scififangirls.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at scififangirls.